This episode discusses several cases of infanticide. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that, at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations, you've just found your new favorite podcast. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Today, I have the illustrious, oh, pretty famous, no, cousin. <laughs> Pia Baroncini, formerly known as Pia Arobio, mm-hmm. and she is now Pia Baroncini. You can find her all over the internet. I'm not going to do justice to your bio, so I need you to tell the listeners why you're, why you are, who you are, and why you're on this podcast. Why, I don't, why do you want me on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> because you're a mom, and you're going to bring an interesting perspective. Yeah, I'm a new mom, and you're a new mom, but you're also an intense crazy entrepreneur business person um has her own line of clothing on revolve manages go on jump in i have a a clothing brand called lpa that is with you know it's a partnership with revolve i have a podcast called everything is the best i um i sell olive oil called barantini import and co and i am the cmo of my husband's cashmere brand called giaia cashmere so she has a ton of free time. She also has a baby. I have a baby. She's a little baby. Pia, now that she's a mom, um, I've been begging her to come on in this, but she's literally more, uh, she's busier than the president. I'm, no, I, you have more energy than, and <laughs> there's one of her, she has a menagerie of dogs yeah, as well. There all will of, be dogs barking. Yeah. Most of whom weigh more than us. Um, anyway, <laughs> that violence is for a different podcast, but I'm super excited to have Pia on today because A, she's brilliant. B, she likes to talk as much as her cousin, me. <laughs> and um, C, this we're going to talk about dead babies today. It's a harder subject. We're not going to go into the details of them. She's looking at me like I just asked her to oh eat poop. Oh my fucking God. Well, it's not, it's in the headlines right now. We're not going to go into the details okay. of it. I'm sorry. I know it's triggering. I'm already so scared of everything. But you're going to have all these ideas of, well, You're making shit. me a fatalist. Now I'm realizing you're the wrong guest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just try. Okay. We're going to try to it. So in the headlines right now is this young nurse named Lucy Letby. Okay. And she's currently on trial for the murder of seven newborn babies and the attempted murder of 10 more. How did, what did she do? How did she do it? Well, she's a neonatal nurse. She's yeah. only 32. And she worked at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the United Kingdom. So you're safe. Okay. She's not here. But that's okay anyway because she's in jail. The unfolding of the story, it's heart-wrenching. It's so tragic, but so, like, unfortunately, it is not as rare as you would want to think. It, this is one of the reasons we keep our, our babies near us when we have them. Oh. The vast majority of people in the, in the industry of saving lives are wonderful, yeah. selfless people. This is rare. Okay. It's just not as rare as you want it to be. Okay. What did time. she do? How did she okay. do it? She killed these babies by feeding them insulin or injecting air into their little bloodstreams. Why? 
Well, we're going to get into that a little bit. In her trial, um, she gives, well, she denies all of it, I should say that. And the trial's happening right now. Okay. She denies all of it, but there's some clues and we'll get into it. I'm shocked um, I haven't heard of this because I'm an avid Daily Mail reader. Well, I, yeah. And, and they some have, of this is from Daily Mail. I know. And they have, they, Daily Mail loves to cover like gruesome, horrible tragedies that happen between Australia, the UK, and the US. So you are the right guest. I, lo- I will, that I, my, my default, what I shouldn't do, but my default before I go to bed is reading the news section of Daily Mail, which has horrible stories in it. Like I, like yesterday, there like two kids escaped from their house and like begged the neighbors <gasps> the to look the twins. And I have been like keeping up with that obsessively. Yeah, yeah. The mom and her like teenage boyfriend. Did you see those horrible scars? No, on their I didn't wrists? see pictures. Okay, we'll do that. We'll go in. Sorry. Next week's episode <laughs> will be on the twins. So I do. So I'm acting like, but I, I do. I do. I do dabble in these horrible stories from time. You know, they keep our attention. There's a reason there's an insatiable um, appetite for true crime because it's, it's close to home. We all have Mm -hmm. kids or we know people who have kids or we were once a kid. Oh, a giant (laughs) mastiff. I'm not kidding. This mastiff's 160 pounds. Busted into the room. (laughs) Hi, Nutella. She knows how to open doors. She would be an incredible serial killer. Yeah, Tully. Okay. She's a huge borble. Anyway, that's Nutella. Don't let the Sorry. name fool you. <laughs> so one of the moms actually unknowingly walked in while nurse, no. nurse Letby was killing her child. So she interrupted Nurse Letby, who was at the point t- attacking this baby. And the mom came in to bring um, her milk. She was pumping. So she did not realize at the time. Um, but she was so confident that w- when she walked in, the nurse says, oh, no, no, no. He's only bleeding from his mouth <gasps> because of the placement of the na- nasogastric tube. It's irritating his throat. Trust me, I'm a nurse. And she just kind of brushed her away. And this little baby boy who has had a twin sister, a little girl, um, he was three pounds, but he was okay. But he started rapidly deteriorating and he was pronounced dead, I think, five hours after Let B was seen with him. Uh, the doctor present said he had never seen a baby bleed like this and the child lost more than a quarter of his total blood volume. Oh That's what God. the jury heard. So these babies that she's accused of killing, who she was accused of killing, they were all stable. They were not expected to die. And then on her next shift, she tried to kill the little baby's twin sister, <gasps> but that baby recovered. Okay. Okay. So jurors heard that then Leppy would go and do internet searches to look at the social media posts of the mothers of the Shut babies up. she just killed. Shut up. She Creep. loved watching the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Creep factor. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's an, she's an unusual woman. The only thing I can find about her, there's it's a new case, so I can't dig deep into like her childhood. Is she like infertile or something? Like, what's the what? Why does she not want moms to be happy with their children? I honestly think that that is found in a terrifying post-it note. Now a pit bull has entered. Sorry. This is this could be easily a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> I need you guys out of here. Out. There's also a bulldog oh. that's going to come in next. No, he's at work. Oh, the bulldog went to work. There were post-it notes found all over her apartment, and some read, I am evil. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. And there are these... The dog just shut the door. <laughs> the passages were written on post-it notes, and... Um, but then another one said, I've done nothing wrong and they have no evidence. So why hi- why have I to hide away? Weird. Okay. So yes, but then- Does she have you, multiple personalities for her? No, 
she's actually, I, I mean, other than being a you know criminally insane murderer, she it seems quite nice. In fact, all I can hear that people say about her is that she's a full geek, but sweet and very loving. Mm-hmm. She did write, I have an overwhelming fear. I'll never have children or marry. I will never know what it's like to have a family. Despair. Mm. So is this like single white female, mean yeah, girls yeah, gone yeah. wrong? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't want you to be happy. Yeah, totally. I mean, usually serial killer that does not make, but in her case, it it looks like it may have. So what the fuck? What draws someone into healthcare and then leads them to do this? And I don't think she necessarily was one of these serial killers looking for this beautiful breeding ground of serial killing. I think just as she got older and maybe saw the miracle of life and realized that it wasn't happening for her. I don't know, but let's dive in. So since the 1970s, we have had over 90 medical serial killers who have been convicted. That means there's a whole bunch more roaming around oh, there. Oh, no. We haven't caught. That's a lot. That's a lot of people oh, in a position What's the draw to kill an innocent child? I mean, that's really dark. That's the dark. That's the darkest side of it. Um, so there are a lot of thoughts on this. There's people, you know, caring for the sick and vulnerable really does create a great hunting ground for a serial mm-hmm, killer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in these seri- these medical serial killers, again, let's not call them angels of mercy or angels of death because those are rare that when they're actually trying to help a patient, more than half are female. And that does not track with actual serial killers out in mm-hmm, the wild. Mm-hmm. They're not female. They're usually males. Yeah. They're rarely females. So it looks like female serial killers are drawn to the medical profession. They can go years and years. Yeah, of course. And years without detection. Yeah, duh. Why would you think a nice nurse who spends day in, day out taking care of people would kill someone? Right. The, it's the complete opposite of what their job is. And usually what happens when there is one of these like medical serial killers, their nefarious acts are only discovered when there's an unexplained increase in the death rate at a hospital oh, or a fuck clinic. Me. But she, Lepi, was at this hospital in uh, Countess of Chester Hospital from 200, 200 BC. From two, <laughs> two, Wow, it's been a day. 2011 (laughs) until her arrest in 2018. But here's the kicker. An investigation was launched in 2017 because there had been 15 infant deaths and 17 near-death events in 2015, 2016. So she was operating from 2011 until she was arrested in 2018. But to the hospital's credit, and this is important, based on the recommendation of a doctor on the staff, they did external reviews and then they informed the police. And what you're going to learn is that that's not how this usually happens. Hospitals notice that death rates increase or incidents increase under the, the, the care of certain nurses and doctors, and they just fire them and move on. No. Yeah, they do that. And here's why. The liability. They don't want someone coming in there looking at their hiring practices, making them liable. So they just wash oh, their hands of it. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm saying that God. in a very unofficial capacity. But when I've been looking deep and deep, deeper and deeper into these, I'm like, how is he getting fired when they suspect him? And then he moves into another hospital and then another they just hospital. go to another hospital. I mean, some of these. It's so morally corrupt. It's so bad. And I'm so frustrated. And I'm going to yell at somebody. I'm going to call some administrator today. And they're going to hear from me. Back to why this happens. There have been people studying these medical serial killers. And there's this one um, researcher named Dr. Kinkin who broke it down in a way that I thought would be perfect to describe in this podcast. He says, their killing or their their killing can be listed in these particular categories. I would argue he's missing one. But the first one's thrill seekers. And those are just normal psychopathic 
serial killers. And mm-hmm. I've talked ad nauseum about how psychopaths are low, their autonomic arousal's low, their baseline arousal's low, so they're thrill seekers. They're mm. looking to up that. It's a super uncomfortable way to be. Plus, they don't have that anticipatory fear response. They don't get nervous. So they're just like, hmm. So if you're going to be a serial killer, going into to work in hospital is a great way to do it. You can have thrill after thrill after mm, thrill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, psychopaths are born with that low autonomic arousal. So it's it's something they have dealt with and tried to ameliorate throughout their lives. Obviously, we can get the pro-social psychopaths. Sometimes, I mean, I've said it a million times before, yeah, you know, you want your psychopaths, you want to nudge them into pro-social activities like being a surgeon, I've said before, or bank manager or, you know, whatever it is, wherever they can get their thrill you know, you don't want a Bernie Madoff, but there's lots of hedge fund managers who are full-blown psychopaths yeah, who totally. are hurting people. But this is the caveat. Maybe you don't want them working in the medical profession because they have vulnerable they people at their fingertips. People. So my favorite serial killer who falls under that particular medical serial killer thrill-seeking category is Jolly Jane Toppin. Doesn't she sound pleasant? So she was known as Jolly Jane because she was super light and personable and always like happy, but she killed at least 31 people, <gasps> always with a smile on her face. Adults? Adults. So what made her the most jolly was experimenting with drugs that would take her patient to the brink of death with an overdose of morphine. And then while they lay dying, she would gaze lovingly into their eyes. And sometimes she would lie with them sexually, like lie in bed with them. It was really neat. And as soon as the patient was close to death, Jolly Jane would inject them with atropine, which would make them shake, sweat, convulse, their eyes would dilate, and that would be her like climax experience. And she just loved to watch. So eventually the patient would die, but it was not after Jane had her erotic fix. And one survived, and she was able to describe what Jane... Yep, she did. So she says that Jane walked in and gave her a drink and the drink started burning her throat. And then she felt she was catatonic at that point. Jane pulls back the bed sheet, lies in bed with her, gazes romantically into her eyes, starts caressing her hair, cuddling her, kissing her face. And then as soon as the, the pupils started dilating, Jane jumps on her knees and just gazes intensely as this is happening and oh. assuming she's going to die. But then Jane heard somebody coming down the hall. So she hops off and doesn't continue with the medication to kill. So she fucking survived. So she survived. So So once caught, Jane confessed to these killings and she said, they gave me voluptuous delight. Oh. So that's a term for sexual, like arousal, Mm -hmm. sexual turn on. But I want to bring it back. Mm -hmm. It's from the turn of the century. Voluptuous delight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was a psychopath to be sure. Her amygdala and prefrontal cortex weren't working right. But we also know about this particular serial killer is that she spent her life in an institution from zero to five. And what we've learned on other episodes is really your the bad outcomes that are associated with that cannot be ignored. All the social interpersonal development is stunted. And we do we do see serial killers with that in their background. Wait, she was in like a foster home or she was in an institution? I think it it was like a an orphanage. It was like an orphanage. I believe her mom died. I don't remember all the details, but her mom died and her dad was overwhelmed with a bunch of kids. Yeah, of course. So the second category is power oriented. And these types simply enjoy the the power dynamic of being the doctor or the nurse or the vulnerable patient. Um, These are probably pretty common. Uh, There's one, there's two I want to talk about. Wow. These guys, these are the two where I'm like, 
there are so many places that hospital administration and doctors separate from the hospital all let these guys slip through the cracks. And I won't go too deep into it because each one of them is their own episode. So this guy, Charles Cullen, he was a former U.S. Naval officer and he has, we know he killed up to 40 patients in New Jersey in the 80s and 90s, but some criminologists believe he actually killed 400 people. And if that's true, he's the most prolific serial killer ever. So this guy was such a freaking mess. He started trying to kill himself at age nine. <gasps> he was, when he was in uh, in the Navy, they found him at some, like, uh, a, a station, like a gunning station, not in his uniform, but in, like, scrubs and a mask. They put him in the psych ward. They discharged him. Nobody cares. He gets to go on to be a nurse. He um, was, he had had bad upbringing. He was constantly bullied as a child, and he was very depressed. His wife said he would, used to, uh, for fun, spike people's drinks with lighter fluid. Um, he left his daughters with a babysitter for a week. One day he just decided to burn all of his daughter's books in front of everybody. Mm. He was not well. Functioning enough to get married and have kids. Yeah, she left him in a very dramatic divorce. But he would move from facility to facility undetected because of the lack of requirements Shit. to report suspicious medical behavior. The hospitals, then this is not long ago. This is the 80s and 90s. They weren't required to report suspicious behavior by medical workers. Like, I'm sorry. That's a thing. That should be the biggest thing. There was another guy who was similar to that. He was even weirder and worse. His name was Michael Swango. Swango. So he was a physician who was estimated to be involved in as many as 60 fatal poisonings. But it wasn't enough. This guy was such a power trip. It wasn't enough to kill the patients. He would poison his colleagues. Multiple hospitals. Here's some fried chicken laced with arsenic they're all vomiting and he's just watching and their eyes like from the vomiting their eyes are like bulging out with red blood vessels um then he just you know they didn't like that so they moved him to a different hospital no criminal charges he does finally get nabbed he goes to jail he serves a period of time they let him out and he goes works at a different hospital no yep all the time Mm. then he went to africa Mm. because he was getting too busted here and killed a bunch of people there he was uh, sentenced in 2000 to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. And he's now serving that, I believe, in Colorado. And I am going to go talk to him. Oh, cool. I have to. I mean, not cool, but... I need. I have questions. I have questions. Then here's the... the I mean, those people, the thrill seekers are psychopaths. The power control, these guys are not mentally well. Then we have the gain-motivated medical serial killer. They just want money. It's so messed up. These people, they're just, it's like burglary, but they're going to just- But they collect the checks of sick people? Yes. Oh my God. That is on Daily Mail all the fucking time. (laughs) There is always like a sick, dying person somewhere and they're like, it'll be like a nephew or a daughter, like keeping an old person sick and they're like melting into furniture. No. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. I've seen horror, but they're, they're collecting they're the collecting disability the or, or whatever. Checks Social they security. Can get. Yeah, all that shit. Oh, so that's, that's basically a big what these thing guys that did. happens like in the middle of America often yeah. in like towns that are like small with neighbors that are far away, far away. And then you're not checking on each other yeah, every nobody... day and, and you, people can go unnoticed. They can melt into their couch because mm-hmm. you don't, you don't see. Sally there was a doll. So I saw there was recent, the parents went to jail. The daughter had not, she had been sitting on the same couch for like 10 years or something. Like she literally had melted, it was like maggots. She had melted into the couch. Yeah. And the parents were like, funct- high functioning, normal people. 
And like, I think a neighbor called about like a smell or something. So was she mentally, or the was she disabled? Was, yeah, and the daughter then... was disabled and they just kept her alive enough to just, but didn't, didn't clean her, didn't take care of her. She just sat there. So then her sores, they, they open yep. and then as they heal, they, they stick to the fabric and then she literally becomes one with the couch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Parenting. I saw a photo of the couch. Yeah. We've taken a turn, but that's the exact thing I'm talking about. People love that shit. They do. They do. So this chick in Japan, Miyuki Ishikawa, 103 victims. She's a midwife and she worked with accomplices. So we can talk about the whole when you get your friends in on your murdering and like everyone's okay with this. So this is in the 40s. She killed, they were all newborn babies and she would convince poor parents to give their children up saying it's going to cost you way too much to raise them. And um, she would have them pay her an amount of money mm. to get to place the children. And then she'd keep the money and kill the kid. Yeah. And she would abuse them. Yes. How they didn't say mainly neglect. She was convicted on 103, but everybody believes there's more. And she served four years in prison. How is that possible? I don't know, but I have somebody in Japan. I want to call about it because I think that's insane. And then there was another one. This this dude's a real treat. His name's Marcel Petio. He's French. During World War II, he set up a fake network for Jews fleeing France. Okay. Are we done here? <laughs> We're done for the day. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I tap out on that one. Yeah. He would grab them, tell them, oh, I'm going to inoculate no. you from disease. Um, meanwhile, he was really injecting them with cyanide, mm. and then he would dispose of their bodies and keep their possessions. Mm. The most famous medical serial killer is Harold Shipman. He was very prolific, 250 victims. He would, mainly elderly, he would change some of their wills and then kill them. And so he'd get the money. He'd get the money. And, or, and so he finally got caught doing that. He, he got lazy and, and sloppy, and and he'd also steal their jewelry. So... He killed himself. He hung himself in a in a cell recently, not that long ago, 2004, the day before his 50th birthday. And his wife is still like, no, he didn't do it. He for sure did it. And then the last, well, I'd say there's, he says this is the last type of killer. I say there's one more, missionary killers. And these are people who think it's up to them to get rid of medical burdens. Yeah. So this is like the one example that jumped out to me was this guy, Dr. Louis Omar Mohammed El-Tai, and he was an Iraqi medical doctor. During the second Gulf War, he was treating like, badly wounded policemen and soldiers, but instead of killing them, he would administer anticoagulants to any wounded pro-coalition patient. What and, does that do? Well, he killed him. So he just figured, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to make these guys better. I'm just going to take rid of it, get rid of them. And he did um, so because he had been recruited into an Iraqi Sunni insurgent group called Jamaat Ansar al-Sunnah. And yeah, he killed 46 people. Whoa. Mm. Lastly, I would add kind of the angels of death, the Kevorkians of the world who do, there have been several, but they, it's illegal what they do and it's wrong, but they kill people who are in pain with terminal illnesses where there's no right to die. Mm-mm. So- they're, they're not I would like insane. that, though. Yeah, that's enough. I know. Well, we have it here in California. We do? Yeah, we do. You have to have, I don't remember the requirements, but it has to be a terminal illness. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah, in Switzerland, they have a program. Yeah, which is it's great. amazing. Mm-hmm. So the disturbing trend of hospitals and clinics firing these nurses and doctors, like 
when they notice the trend, that needs attention right away. And it's, I mean, I feel like there should be an algorithm in place that anytime there is a change in events or deaths, an external review is triggered. Yes, duh. That should be baseline. I mean, hospitals deal with a tremendous amount of litigation when a single person dies. Mm -hmm. So I recognize that they are super protective of their situations, but you must you must cause no harm and allow the killer to, you know, cruise around killing other people in different hospitals. I just think that, I mean, it's so abhorrent. And most hospitals probably wouldn't do that, but I read about plenty who did, or oh that did. God. They're not people. Questions so far, Pia? No. No. You hate this. You're never coming on my <laughs> podcast again. <laughs> Is there a common denominator between any of these people, or it's all really, like, specifically different? types of murderers. It's funny you should ask. Who's at risk? The signs are actually pretty close to what we see in the childhoods of most killers. Mm. Early signs of mental illness, bullying and rejection by peers, substance abuse, which begs an interesting question. Do people who use substances get into these nursing and medical professions so they have access to substances? Or does Uh, being around them make you? mm -hmm. Does being around those drugs make you be like, I'm just going to give it a try? Mm -hmm. Um. And difficult personal relationships. And then once they are in the medical profession, what they tend to do is take night shifts. They tend to be, coincidentally not, um, at the deathbed at many, many deaths, more than their colleagues. And they have this uncanny ability to predict which patients will die. And they move from hospital to hospital. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so what do we do, right? Like, I feel like medical professionals should have the gnarliest background checks because they have such a position of power over over vulnerable. Yeah, that would be obvious to me. But I also think that, I mean, is there like a surplus of nurses right now? I don't know. I Especially post-COVID, like I'm sure hospitals are just like thankful for the work. I think during COVID in particular, um, they were so desperate for people who would work. When I was in labor... And we got to the hospital. I had to stay in triage because there had just been a labor and there was only one fucking nurse. Oh. Do you know that? There was only one labor and delivery nurse? Yes. And so, and she had to take her lunch break. And I got there at midnight and they were like, we don't have a nurse for you. We can't put you in a room yet. You have to stay in triage because there's only one nurse. <laughs> And she's on her lunch break because she just, deli- you know, once you deliver a baby, you legally have to take your hour and a half lunch break. So wow. I was just stuck. But I was like, what if two people are in labor? Yeah. What if two people are in labor? So I don't know if that's like a finance thing, if that's like, a st- you know, what the staffing issue was there or if there's not enough labor and delivery nurses. But I don't know. I don't know. It's confusing because I know a lot of people are going into the nursing profession and that they're you know, it's not super easy to get a job right now afterward, but I don't know if that's always the case. Some of these were happening earlier, earlier in the century, maybe, you know, the early 1900s throughout the wars, maybe there weren't quality nurses just begging to work at your hospital. Um, You know, and it's a tough job. It's a really tough job. And it, but weren't it, weren't they kind of just taking, like, was it like, I think both my grandmothers were nurses at some point. Wasn't Momo like a nurse at some point? Yeah, our Danish grandmother, she she wasn't really a nurse. She was a caregiver and a wet nurse. So she had just had my mom 
but all the while all the men were at war during World War II, the women had to go take the men's jobs. Yeah, so it seems like these are in crazy times where people are just like, yeah, come help us. Yeah, no, and I think that during those times, you're going to get that kind of shortage. But what what bothers me about all of this is you have this dichotomy of people. You have the people who are literally in the profession, mm-hmm. and the vast majority are, are to help and want to be there for a vulnerable person. And then you get these rogue black sheeps who are just like a random serial killer. Like that's not who you expect at your bedside. Mm-mm. But if there have been 90 convicted serial killers and they, they are so easy to hide. It's so easy to just fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. And some of these, um, there was this one woman, she worked at a dialysis clinic and she would put bleach in all <gasps> of their, um, their lines. But that's how you clean those dialysis machines. So she was able to be like, oh, "Oh, I just screwed up the amount of bleach. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes when there, what would happen, sometimes it wasn't this like, you know, salacious bad behavior on the hospital's part. Sometimes people would grow suspicious. A doctor might grow suspicious. There'd be talk. And then the nurse would just resign and move Mm -hmm. elsewhere. So she knew people were catching up. Exactly. So we see that too. So, you know, to to defend the hospitals a little bit. Sometimes it didn't go to a full-blown investigation, but there were plenty where they were fired because of suspicious behavior. And in this one instance, the hospital was so intimidated by this particular male nurse that they wrote him a glowing review just to get <gasps> rid of him. Yeah, and he went on to kill a bunch more people. Yeah. That's the whole point of a hospital. Right. So I wonder how many of these people... Oh, I'm always like, can't you just admit that you're a murderer so we can like... Steady. I mean, I'm sure you're just like, can we just like talk to you more so we can figure this out? Because I would be so curious as to whether or not they went into this field knowing they were going to eventually be able to kill people or once they're there and realize the control they have over the, uh, over these people's lives. It's like, dude, nobody's going to fucking catch me. I can just like, mm-hmm. and maybe like every day, like a little thing happens where they feel like this power almost mm-hmm. over lives and get excited by it. I would, would wonder how much of it is calculated and how much of it is like, now that I'm here, I now can that do I'm this. Oh, I like this power. I like this dynamic. Mm-hmm. I think you've got both. I think you have those those two crazy guys who were super troubled before mm-hmm. Swango and, and Cullen. I think they chose it on purpose. Um, both of them had been super interested in like bodies and violence. And yeah. I think though, but I think these others, like this, this nurse let be, Let's see what happens with Lucy Letby because her trial's not done yet. Um, she, I think, took a wrong turn when she hit, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. This idea that I'm not dating, watching the love between, I mean, you know, you and Davide, the, the photos of you guys when you had that baby. Obviously, she has some sort of predisposition to be a sick fuck. But shit, do I do I curse on my podcast? I'm not even, I guess I do. I'm, oh, I'm, um, a bad influence with the cursing. Well, we just, I mean, since we met, you know, the day you were born, <laughs> we've been talking like this. Um, Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Pia's first sentence was, one of her first sentence was, is that bullshit, friend? That's and bullshit, friend. My daughter's first sentence was, fuck it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for her, it's, we're watching a woman degrade into some sort of mental instability she said really freaky things that I haven't yet mentioned. Like what? Like what? So the the dad of the twin who died, the, the girl twin mm-hmm. lived, he said, please don't take my son to mortuary. I guess that's what they call the morgue. 
And she wrote to one of her colleagues, oh, it was so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking to hear him say that, which now that we know she's the one who killed him, there's something about her. She loves the tragedy. And, and, and it's more against the parents. I don't think it was about a thrill to kill the kids. Mm. I think it's taking the joy. She from likes the taking the joy from the parents. And the outcomes were really bad. The ones who didn't die, some suffered brain damage from being without oxygen. <gasps> yeah. So you give birth to a healthy, perfect baby, and accidents can happen. You know, cerebral palsy is no joke. You know, if you're deprived of oxygen while delivering, and then her looking at their pages and, um, the other thing is just these notes she left all over her house. It's kind of like you're a teenager and you doodle. They looked like that. She was doodling all over the place. And it can be argued that some of these children were frail, frail they were premature, but there was, I mean, it was way more deaths than they expected. And these kids were thriving. Oh my God. So I think we just watched a spiral, you know, from somebody who was probably okay to begin with and then wasn't again, I'll revisit this when I learn more about her. But I think, you know, the whole point of this podcast is how not to raise a serial killer. How do we prevent this? Some of it is you're raising a little psychopath. Maybe do something if you notice they're trying to become a nurse or a doctor and you think that their behavior is still really bad. I, I think that with these cases of these men who were constantly fired and the guy who was convicted, I mentioned a couple of people who went to jail and then were able to work again afterward. There has to be, if there's no legal obligation to report or to stop somebody from working in the field, I mean, the medical licensing boards, the, I feel like these are all things that have, should have incredible scrutiny. Yeah. But let's look at our society. We have like completely underfunded, like the foster system orphanages here are a disaster. There's no mental health at all. And I think now there's this turn to allow people after convictions to have start a new life Mm -hmm. as we should, because we're hoping that people are going to re-enter society. And what are you going to do? This person can't work. Then you're going to have it. We have a homeless problem. You know, it's like literally there's like nowhere to go. There are, I mean, it's layered and there's no simple solution. It's so nuanced. Mm -hmm. There's so many, but I, but I, I don't know. And then I'm thinking like, if I have a kid who's clearly shown signs of aggression, who's never really gotten along with other people's kind of an outlier shows anger issues and came to me one day and said, I'm going to go to nursing school. I want to be a nurse. As a parent, I would go, fuck yes. My child has chosen a career. They're finally showing empathy. They want to take care of people. I would think that this is a turn for the better. And that's why we hope more than four people listen to this podcast, because while I have said historically, <laughs> nudge them to people, <laughs> <laughs> well, our family members, <laughs> historically, I have said, you know, oh, if they want to go be a surgeon, I think that's surgeons are one thing. You're going to get a huge thrill saving these lives. It's dramatic. It's mm-hmm. but this is another, I mean, especially nurses. Nurses are around patients way more than doctors are. I mean, that's who's administering the care. The doctor comes in and gives the orders. Absolutely. You know, my obviously, you know more than anyone. My dad spent a significant amount of his life in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And we have so many personal relationships. But I still talk on Instagram almost every day with my labor and delivery nurse. Oh. But we talk like back and forth often because it's such a you know she like helped teach me how to breastfeed and 
was she was one of the first people there. And my mom remembers the names of so many of the nurses who took care of my dad. So you feel this such a bond to these people that I understand from a patient's perspective, not even wrapping your head around the fact that this is something that could have happened. And I know you always talk about listening to your intuition. Like this could be something, you know, you don't want to not trust people around you, especially at the hospital. You don't want to assume that every nurse is going to try to kill you or your baby. It's a negative way to live. But I do think it is a nice, just remembering like if there's, if you have a weird gut feeling yeah. Just being an advocate for yourself in a hospital. And we already have to advocate so much because accidents happen at hospitals. People not mm-hmm. trying to hurt your baby, mm-hmm. but they're tired. It is we're human. It's mm-hmm. so easy to screw up the medications. I mean, if you if you look at how accidents happen at hospitals, I do a lot of litigation work for healthcare. It's just human beings and human yeah. error, not evil, totally malevolent, you know, Jolly Jane Toppins. You know, these aren't people who are enjoying. I mean, they are Okay, so in the lawsuits, I, I in my and then other are life, those people able to go switch hospitals and work again? Well, that's the thing. I mean, yes, they can. They can usually the hospital. If somebody made a mistake, if they make a mistake, yes, yes. Sometimes I won't get hired. Yeah. It's public information, but yeah, they do. They move on, and they you know making a mistake. The hospital's insurance will end up covering all of it, and then once a hospital is sued, it's amazing. Um, statistically, their errors drop dramatically because what goes everyone's into scared. everyone's a little bit more careful. Not that they weren't careful to begin with. Yeah. It's just, it's a shit show, yeah. especially in emergency situations. Childbirth can be a very quick, and, and 98% of all births go up, turn, you know, turn out fine. But the 2% that don't, it goes bad quickly, very, mm. very quickly. These emergency situations require life-saving measures at first. You're not thinking of absolutely everything. And these nurses and doctors are traumatized mm-hmm. when something goes wrong, especially if in hindsight, with time to look at your action, you realize there was something else you could have done. And just the tears that I get from nurses that I'm talking to before their depositions and, and doctors, nobody, I no, they're not there to hurt you. They're there mm-hmm. to help you. Mm-hmm. We are talking about the robe, freaky, black sheep that gets to, it's their stealth and they get to sneak into this profession mm-hmm. doing the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. You know, the hospital may not suspect them unless they're looking. If you have somebody with jumping around from hospital to hospital to hospital to hospital, red flag. You got to check this person out more than somebody else. And if you are a parent and your child has always hurt people, maybe discourage the healthcare profession. I hate to say that, but I just think if you're not a particularly empathetic person, with the exception you do sometimes need the God complex, like hero surgeons who are not burdened by the emotion of the dying patient. They just, I mean, I do know a couple of incredible psychopathic surgeons, but, but, but in diving deeper into this, that's an exception. I feel like if you are low on empathy, people who are low on empathy do not necessarily become murderers. I almost think if you're low on empathy, it's better to be in a hospital because you're not super emotionally attached. Like it's the, it's a wrong thought. I'd be like, Oh, this person's not going to want to quit their job because they're sick or, you know, they want to want to, you know, lose their minds every time somebody, I mean, I couldn't imagine being a nurse. Like I, if somebody passed away, seeing the family, you know, I would just be a mess. I would be not able to function. I think that you do get empathetic healthcare providers who compartmentalize. They learn to do it. You have to, right? They learn to do it because I think usually these empathetic people are drawn to it and then they learn to somehow thicken their skin 
and balance mm-hmm. with accepting all the lives that they've saved versus the lives they've lost. I do, I do think sometimes, like I said, you can get surgeons who are like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kill it with this. I'm just going to be best. I'm going to be God. I'm going to save lives. I'm talking more about this these. Is so crazy. These random, horrible people. Yeah. But like, you know, you're, you're, we know some awful children where we're like, okay, what's that? You look back into most killers backgrounds, you're going to see some pretty bad behavior. And these, like I said in the beginning, these look the same. Mm -hmm. They look the same. It's not like there's something that's standing out to me. Um, Very rare, but still 90 convicted. That's a good job for somebody who has, like, where are we putting these people? Money managers, leaders of uh, running banks, running companies. Yes, they might fuck you out of money. They're because they are looking for the thrill. They're mm-hmm. looking, and they don't care. They have no empathy. I just well, at least they can be a functioning human in society. They can be a functioning human society, and there are training programs where you take these young people who are showing psychopathic features, and you teach them to understand consequences matter because they they really thrive and reward. Mm. And that, and you punish these children. They don't react to it. So you. you oh my god! I said this to. I'm not going to say their names, but our our friends who have they have a son who is he's i'm i'm like it's because he's a scorpio you could just see that he he just first of all he's just clumsy but he love he's a thrill seeker mm. so i saw him yesterday all his toes are black and blue from oh, accidents no. he has a full busted lip he just got stitches out of his chin no. he took um a blade and shaved his head right now so it's down to nothing so the oh. kid looks like he just got like sent to off to war oh, came boy. back from war and he i was saying to them yesterday they were like Dude, this kid, like, he's just doesn't care about consequences. He's always trying to jump off of things. He's like such a little thrill seeker. And I was like, um, I was talking to Michelle the other day. <laughs> and she was saying that um, we're not supposed to punish him, which is like a lot of rewards. Like, don't focus on the punishment because he doesn't care about the punishment. Yeah. We're just, we have to just continuously reward him. And he's so young that, you know, his thrill seeking might not, it, he, yes. he might not be psychopathic at all. If no, you match that with no empathy, but no, yeah. he's definitely empathetic. You see, I've seen it where he'll, you know, accidentally knock something over and he feels really bad he feels and bad. Then he cries about it. Yeah, of course. Like I can see that he's, but he's just, this kid is just oh, such a thrill, a thrill seeker. seeker. And yeah, yeah. He's like one day, he's like the dad was like, he's going to be one of those kids that just like wants to jump off right. of mountains and like, you know, do those like red and let, you know, let them. They're going to be mountain bikers. They're going to be base yeah. jumpers. Like, and I've always said that I'm like, look, if you have a thrill seeker who doesn't respond to consequence and also is low on empathy, it's on you, parents. I hate to do it, but it's on you to give them ways they can find thrills that do not include hurting people. Mm-hmm. And again, like, so I mean, I'm walking it back a little bit because I've always said some of the best psychopaths I've known have been surgeons, but now I'm like, shit. I forgot about it being a wonderful breeding ground for psych- for serial killing. <laughs> so I'm, I have to temper that with, yes, a psychopath could be a great surgeon, but I feel like there there's a lot more a going on. A surgeon seems here. safe. You're in a room with a bunch of people. Right. They're watching every step you're right, doing. Right, right. You're not like dropping bleach and none in of someone's these, brain. I didn't come across any like specific surgeons who are doing this. I think they are getting off on their God complex. Totally. Uh, and by the way, the vast majority of surgeons are not psychopaths. <laughs> Let's be clear. I'm just saying it's not horrible if they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's on to it's like you said, like rewards are really uh, great and, and we want to nudge them into pro social stuff. 
yes, could you end up with hedge fund managers, hedge fund managers who don't care about consequences of losing your money? Absolutely. I think New York's Whatever. packed with them. I mean, yeah, de- definitely. I see those guys after work downtown. I mean, some of the commercial real estate guys, right? Mm-hmm. Even that. I know, but my mom used to always say when I would, she'd be like, go hang out like financial district. Like you should find a guy down there. Like you should go. She would always say, why don't you go hang out at the bars down there? Oh, God. Like me, I go, you want me to date one of those? Mm-hmm. No. You know what? You could have taken one for the team for all of us. I could. I know. Yeah. We could all be on a yacht somewhere right we now. We could. No one would have to podcast ever again. No. <laughs> Nobody would have to do this sitting comfortably in our house right now. Um, Yeah. So this is one of those situations where it's like the whole point, as I always say, we cannot just do gratuitous crime all the time. We have to have the takeaway, the vegetable. And for me, it's like, okay, yes. Does this girl have friends? Yeah. She was dorky. She has a few friends. People said she was a sweetheart. And it's all going to come out. More is going to come out. We'll we'll revisit this when I can you know dive into her mm-hmm. past and be mm-hmm. like, where were the signs? What could we have done? Um, but nobody has a bad thing to say about her yet. yet. There has to be something. Yeah. Somewhere. Well, except for the mothers of these children she killed. Yeah. They have some negative things to say about her. It's also so creepy to like write notes and put like I have no notes. Literally, the only notes I have right here are the preschools that I signed up my baby for. Like, I don't like write notes to myself. I mean, I should, by the way, I should start putting some affirmations up. Accessories? (laughs) But to think that she's like at home, just like on post-it notes, like... I'm a loser. I'll know. And just keeping them up in her And you're apartment. already killing people. And it makes me think that we're watching the mental decompensa- decompensation of a person. It makes me think that she's actually having a breakdown over the last few years. Because you don't leave shit like that behind. Mm-mm. You don't leave your evidence behind. No, she's not calculated. She's not calculated. So I think she probably was okay. And she's decompensating and falling apart. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, okay. Then there's the message there. Like, what red flags do we look for in these situations? But I think the true... Um, objective kind of barrier is hospitals having an algorithm that immediately triggers an investigation the second it goes beyond statistical. I'm so shocked that that is not embedded in the fabric of the functionality of a fucking hospital. It could be some places. It could be, but it wasn't many of these places. Somebody notices it and then it might trigger an investigation, but I feel like it should just be automatic. If the IRBs, the internal review boards, do they have programs that automatically trigger a review if your numbers are outside of the statistical range that you'd expect? And if not, there should be. It shouldn't nec- It shouldn't just be the doctors and the administrators noticing a change. There should yeah. be an external mm-hmm. um, notification when things change. And that's how all these people were caught. People would be like, what's the common denominator? Mm. Oh, it's Nurse Letby. Oh, it's Swango. Or oh, it's there was always, there seems to be one person who always Could is Could you imagine here. going to work and being like, well, you know, Jane over there is the one that gets all the deaths all the time. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, they're just like, here comes Dr. Death. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think that is actually what, you know, what happens. And then sometimes they get switched to different departments where they don't have the access. I saw that a couple of times and I'm like, okay. And they do that to test to see if the deaths stop. I know. It was a little messy. But then they can still figure out how to like sneak into a room. Yeah. I mean, they still have access to people vulnerable people medicine and exactly oh my god um yeah so anyway those are my takeaways and some sort of like irb trigger when these the algorithm you know kicks it off 
And it's good to know not to let your kid who is showing all of these signs not go into that field. Because I naively would think, oh, this is their way of showing empathy. But right. no, it's their way of getting access to prey. Now, and remember, empathy can't grow. It's it either you have it or you don't. So mm. children are relatively unempathetic. And then as they get older, you start to see it. But somebody who is born without empathy and never has it, you, they can learn the words of it, but they never yeah, feel it. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's another takeaway. It's like, okay. Do if, empathetic kids cry? When they learn that it gets them what they want, Yes. But they don't know. They, I mean, they cry if they're hurt because they can feel pain, but they don't cry when their mom gets hurt or their sibling gets hurt. They laugh. <gasps> yeah. It's a little thrill. So, yeah, no. And, and I, I, have, I have friends with me. But then if they learn, oh, shit, I'm supposed to cry. And they learn this young. Then they'll cry. Because if you're not, if you're acting like a little psychopath and not crying when it's sad or then you get ridiculed and then you're like, oh, okay, now I know what to do. And it, it happens very young that they learn to mimic it. It must also be hard as a parent to, I mean, I'm very aware I want my child to be her best self. Like, like I'm the first, I think like we come from a family that's very like, is that normal? Like, should this be happening? Like completely. But I think most parents are so blinded by the fact that they want their kid to be perfect that admitting these signs is probably super hard. It's super hard. That's why I keep saying, you know, it doesn't mean that your kid is a psychopath. It doesn't mean that your kid is going to be a criminal. But if you can take what you know and help that child become the best person they can yeah, be. absolutely. Which then, is the goal anyway. Right. And then but so many people key. get lost in the sauce. They want it, everything to look like perfect on people. Yeah. I wouldn't be super stoked to be like, mm, maybe my kid's a psychopath. But it's one out of every hundred kids is. Oh, my God. Yeah. One out of every hundred of us. That's a lot of humans. Oh, I didn't realize that's why I'm like trying to shine a like a more positive light on it. Mm. Yes, serial killers, they happen, but they're rare. Most people aren't. Most psychopaths are not serial killers. Most psychopaths, you know, you have to think about it. You have to be really thick skin in politics. Most, you know, most people couldn't handle it. Narcissists look like they're super confident, but they're super insecure. I always talk about this in the fashion industry because there are you know, so many, not that I think it's okay, but I, there are so many female founders in this, the whole, you know, last couple years was like female founders, female founders, female founders. And then the last year and a half was like the fall of the female founder because everyone was like, well, this girl's a bitch and she did this this way and that girl's an asshole. But I'm like, you can't build a billion dollar company being a thoughtful, wildly empathetic mm. fucking person. Yeah. You cannot manage hundreds of people and make these decisions and be willing to be fucking cutthroat and fire people when you need to and forget like, okay, this consequence of me firing these 10 people or shifting this. You're like, you're shifting people's lives. People depend on their work. They identify, you know, use it as their identity, but you cannot you have to be and the, the baseline word which undermines the complexity of the whole thing is just a bitch you can't be not a bitch and have a fucking company that's a billion dollar company i just don't think it you sound really smart you I, just said underlying complexities <laughs> no. you're really smart no but I think i'm you're not i'm actually right. very stunted i have a very small vocabulary that's not true that's not, she's lying no no, like, no 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 i'm 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 aware of it it makes me a better person for being aware of it I have no ability to, I have such school trauma and I never did any of my homework and I never read anything. And now I'm so 
embarrassed about the fact that I feel like I'm not, you know, quote unquote, like school smart. And I can't, I can't retain information. This woman runs multiple companies. No, but I can do things quickly. I don't run companies. I run the creative aspect of things, making very quick decisions, but like learning a new language, like Davide and I, every night we'll go, we'll go through the ABCs and I'll say a word, an Italian word for each letter. And he'll have me try to repeat it back and I cannot remember anything. And that's why I've just stopped trying to learn because I cannot memorize anything. This is a sponsorship opportunity. Elevate. Can you hear me? What's it's Elevate? Elevate is an app I do every day. You do? I do. And it it's it, first it tests me and then it gives me little math and um, literacy games and they're super fun. So it'll be like um, oh retaining, God. like memory retention. I don't like the math ones as much because math is really rusty, but- it takes you to a yeah, different level. I don't level. know. I'm like, I don't know, Matt. I mean, shit, if they sponsor us, I just already did the ad read right then. I already did it. Okay. It's really good. It just keeps me on my toes. I'm like, it, it, there's shit that we just forget about. Don't say I'm so scared. Say terrified, right? Mm-hmm. Don't say, oh, it was so cold. It was frigid, freezing, whatever. No, I guess frigid means it doesn't like sex. I don't know. See, my vocabulary needs work too. But I see what you're, I understand what you're saying about the, it's hard Every to be a woman. Every time I podcast, I'm like, I hope I'm not coming off like I'm somebody who's like, you know, because I have LPA, I'm not really like a founder. Like I work with such a small group of people, you know, it's not like I'm running, like I work with Revolve. So I've always been like, I have nothing to do with this, like, and and it's literally anytime you bring any of these women's names up, anytime it happened last night with this like big female founder apparently nobody knows it and I'm not going to name her, but it was like a company that IPO'd. And this happens with so many companies when they IPO, like they'll cut, they have a chance to be like, Hey, we're going to make sure that like these certain amount of employees are taken care of. But a lot of the time they'll do a certain thing to kind of fuck these people out of their shares to make it look better. And it's like, these are because there's like a board of people advising these women what to do and they feel the pressure to make a better business decision. And so then they're deemed like a bit. I mean, it's a very interesting. But if, it's me- if you're a man, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. It never happens. It, that's never a thing with men. That's their they're powerhouses. I can't even. like it, That is so frustrating for me because it does require cutthroat. You do have to, you know, what you would be I considered a nice boss. I think the nice thing about it is that people expect women to be nicer. Yeah. You expect a man to be more of an asshole. I do think that if we're going to, if I'm just going to play devil's advocate here in the positivity spectrum, I do think it's, that that's where I think it comes from is you don't expect a woman to ma- be making these cutthroat. You expect a woman to be more nurturing and motherly. Mm. Okay. Well, now I'm fully irritated, but I think that we're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's in any power position mm-hmm. for women. And But now it makes sense. Now I'm looking at all these female founders and I'm like, okay, one out of a hundred is a psychopath in our society. Like how many of these women are fucking psychopaths? And the women are way better at being psychopaths mm-hmm. than men, by the way, because if you have to, if you overcome all of those things that typically make us nice, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, take care of that, you know, oh, I want to be a mom. I want to, you know, those are not instincts. Those are a lot of those are society, but some of them are just in us. And if you, you know, it would suck. It would suck to be a psychopathic female because you are like, I don't give a fuck, mm-hmm. you know? And by the way, I can still be a wildly successful people and I can actually contribute very well to society. Mm-hmm. I can do that mm-hmm. as a psychopath, but you know, you just aren't going to be as warm and fuzzy and happy and invited to be the PTA mom. Kill some babies. Hopefully not. Oh let's end God. on. Let's hopefully. Oh there God. are other ways to get your thrills, people. Um, Pia, you're the best. 
Thank you. I love you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for, I can't even believe I was able to schedule time with you because you are the busiest human being I've ever met. Um, but no, I'm not. You are. So are Just you. take the freaking credit. <laughs> you're the no, most successful person in our family. It's big, busy bragging. Busy bragging. Well, you are the most successful person in our family and it doesn't matter that we only have four members. Um, okay. This has been how not to raise a serial killer with our fabulous guest, Pia Baroncini, formerly Arobio. Um, we will see you next time. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 Media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane. Our music was created by Josh Cook, with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at H N T R A S K. And if you'd like to share a story or ask a question, you can email us at how not to raise a serial killer at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 818-392-4403. If you like our show, do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.